Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. I actually don't know if it's morning for you or not, but if you are in the morning, good morning. You're in the day. Good eye. <laughs> and that's we for wish our we were Australian. in Australia right yeah, now. It no feels kidding. warm. Is it yeah. warm there right now? It's other the opposite of what we are. Summer. Yep. It's becoming summer right now. Let's there. go there. Yeah. It snowed here in Utah this week, the week that we're recording so this. Cold. So Winter is upon us. Christmas. Costco thinks it's already Christmas. Um, I'm about so that, to. Yeah, you are about to. Your house, November 1st. First. Um, that means we're getting to the end, y'all. We're making it to the end of I know, and the I'm, Old I'm Testament. I'm sad and happy. Are you? Like, I am so love the New Testament. And when you see what we are about to do for the New Testament, you like can get your hopes way up because... Yesterday, we were working on some really fun stuff, and it just yeah. it gets me really excited. Uh, may, yeah, more excited. <laughs> yeah, we're maybe more excited because we're like starting to think of head and, ahead and living in the Old Testament at the same time. Um, yeah, but the but Old is, Testament, oh, I've loved the Old Testament. I know. And remember, we just anticipate, anticipated it for so for long. For so long. And this is going to be great as we come back into another four years of the study because the New Testament the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants rely heavily upon Old Testament imagery. Yeah, so we'll keep coming themes. back. And so it's almost like um, you can consider this the first of four years mm. because it lays this really, really powerful foundation to understanding so much of what's happening in other books of Scripture. And so it's actually really, really exciting. And you guys, we can't, we can't wait to tell you what our Surprises. timeline or whatever is for next it's year. It's not, so it's not a timeline. It's not a timeline. So, but you know, our, our little thing gift. that we're a gift. Our gift. That we're, we, love a, we love a gift yeah. every year. It's a good one. That we're arranging. And I, listen, we're still in Old Testament. We're still strong. Wait, and I want to say something else about the Old Testament. So is now my window right now? We're, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. This has been my other favorite part in the last two weeks is so many people have come up to me. Has this started happening to you? And said, you said I was going to love the Book of Mormon or the Old Testament, and I did not believe you. Yeah. And then they're like, I actually have loved the Old Testament. <laughs> it makes me, and like not just a handful of people, like it's almost yeah, everyone same. I see right now is saying that, which just makes me so happy because the thing we wanted most besides to teach you about Jesus and Scripture, which we love, was to help you fall in love with the Old Testament this year. So hopefully that really has been true for a lot of you. And true for the next couple months, because we have some exciting end. The book ends yes. really, really... If there's one more good part. Yeah. Everybody, we're one just... More? Well, yeah, it's all together. Oh, like the clump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's all together. We're introducing it today. <laughs> yeah. The big clump they're introducing. Um, we have a video a couple weeks ago where we introduced everything getting ready for New Testament. I know... It was kind of frustrating for some of you because it took a lot at the beginning. But once a year, we just kind of have to introduce and show. All um, the study tools, yeah. all of them, because that's our number one email we get. So thank you for allowing a space in Lamentations to tell you all about the study tools. It made Lamentations happier, right? It did. Yeah. So I if you want to so. know anything about those to see them, go back to Lamentations, or you can read in the newsletter 
Um, we just keep getting a ton of questions. Where do we find it? All this, those study tools are at Deseret Book. You can find the links in the newsletter or just go to their website to find it or link sometimes our Instagram and that will take you all the way there. Let me just handle this other second question real fast. And it's the magnets that we showed, how to hang the posters. Those are not at Deseret Book. You have to find the link in the newsletter, e- in the newsletter email to mm-hmm. find those. We'll also link those in the- On YouTube. In, yeah. Right. Oh yeah. In You're going to put them YouTube on YouTube. Notes. Yeah. They're already yeah. there. They're already there for okay. last week and, and the week before in the YouTube notes. So you can find that there for those of you who are asking about that. Hopefully that will relieve uh, Maria and Megan from answering that question. A hundred <laughs> times. A hundred times. Um, so there you go. Okay, what we were saying about when she said this one part that happens, that we have one more good part. Here and it's the, the end, whole end. It's the whole end of the Old Testament. Yeah, they, it's, it's this really, really, some people call them the minor prophets. And if you ever hear that, don't feel bad for them. They're, the word there is minor because of the length of their books, not the significance of what they're saying or the significance they had at the time that they lived as a prophet. But just because of their length, they're called the minor prophets. There's a much better name for them that, that we love. Um, it's from it, the Hebrew yeah, Bible. The, the original Hebrew Bible clumped them all together under this name. It was that a drum roll? Yeah. The, but a but, quiet but one? A, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you're watching so the, if you're on the podcast, I just rolled my hands. Okay. This is such brrr. a good name. It's called the Book of Twelve. That's the name of the end of the Old Testament. It starts with Hosea. It will go all the way through to Malachi. It's called the Book of Twelve, which I love because it's these 12 prophets. And let's pull out the timeline right now while we oh, yeah. explain this part because yep. it can be confusing if you don't know where they are. And this is going to be one of your favorite parts of the timeline because these 12 prophets lived all in these last winding up scenes of the Old Testament. So there's going to be some here in the Northern Kingdom. Then there's some that were more in the time of Isaiah and um most of them were in the southern kingdom. So we're going to be putting them here, here. And then at the very end, when everyone starts returning back, there's going to be three more prophets there. So if you counted all of these, there will be 12 prophets. We're going to talk about each of them. It will help you to put them in on the timeline because then as they're teaching their subject, you'll be like, oh, that totally makes sense for where they were and what was happening in the time period. Um, when you look at those 12, the first six are going to be right when um, Assyria is going to come. So you're going to see them here, and right here is where you're going to see what they're talking about. And then and let's we're just gonna remind go, you that um, the, after the kingdom split, right, the northern kingdom is going to first be taken away by Assyria. They're going to be conquered, destroyed, and scattered all throughout the 10 tribes up north and then yeah. a series and that's going to be here and here sorry yeah. i pointed the wrong place here and here and then you'll have some that are in captivity that are going to teach us that are like the later end of assyria do yeah. you want to add anything well yeah that? i was going to say re- just a reminder they conquer that northern kingdom then they come right up to the borders of jerusalem they conquer a lot in the southern kingdom but not a total conquer right and then they're pushed back and the southern kingdom lasts a little longer and then babylon comes remember takes the southern kingdom away into captivity. And then they're there in captivity until Persia lets them go. And then we've got some of these later prophets who are kind of during that time period. So this is all that second king's time period that we read the history of 
halfway through and, the year. And in Isaiah, some of these people were prophets at the same time Isaiah was a prophet. We'll try and point that out to you so you know kind of where they fall in the storyline. And then that will help you understand their book better, what we're going to learn. Today, yeah. we're only going to talk about two of these prophets. Um, so let's put them on while we have this up here, but then let's um, go okay. back to that quote that you I'm loved. putting Hosea on 46 right here. And then I'm also putting Joel on this 46. Joel is one of the prophets that we don't know when where and or when. Where. <laughs> so we put him right by the line because just he's somewhere, just based off some of the stuff that he talks about. So we're going to put those two right there. And as we put the prophets in over the next couple of weeks, Again, there's, you might read something somewhere that says, oh, this prophet's actually to that kingdom or this kingdom and this time or that time. We kind of just took the majority among Bible scholars of where they were, but there's people make a living off of debating when and where. Yes, they uh, live. So lived. we did, we picked what the majority consensus was when we put it on the timeline. What we mostly want you to be able to do is look at the timeline and say, okay, when I read the book of Hosea, I'm going to look at my timeline. I'm going to figure out what was going on at that time. And then I'm going to go in and read, and it'll make more sense as you read it. One of the things we love about the Book of 12 is it really is like a general conference enzyme. That's what it is. It's just like the end of the Old Testament is like somebody mailed you uh, the most recent general conference from the Old Testament. That's what it would be when you go in there. And as we were thinking about each of these prophets— and as they talk and testify and counsel the people of their time, we love that we also experience something really similar in our time, that we just finished a general conference where those who counsel us about living in our time also gave sermons that we look at to find direction, to navigate, to, uh, to take counsel from of how we should be living now. So Something we thought would be really fun that we want to do for these next 12 little books of Scripture is to hook each of them with a modern-day prophetic message. So you're going to have an ancient prophet combined with a modern prophet talking about the same thing, giving really similar counsel. And it's fun to see what did that counsel look like in ancient times, and then what would that same counsel look like in our time. So if you're teaching, um, you might want to bring both um, with you as you're teaching materi material. And maybe you'll tell your class, this week we are going to study um, Hosea, and we're going to hook that up with President Nelson's talk, Overcoming the World. And we're also going to talk about Joel, and we're going to hook that up with Elder Renlund's talk on how to receive revelation. And then maybe they'll study both of those things before they come. Um, yeah. We love this quote so much. Yeah, I love this line. It says this. Um, Each of these short books gives a glimpse into the spiritual landscape and history of Israel, challenging the status quo through prophets called to speak on God's behalf. Both parts of those are, are really neat. One, it gives a glimpse into the spiritual landscape and history. And sometimes if you were to go to conference talks from the mid-80s or something like that, you might get a glimpse into the spiritual landscape and history of, of the world at the time. Um, as you read through these books of 12, you're going to see a lot of similar messages between them. 
And it's fun and kind of insightful that we can link them to modern mm-hmm. 12 because it's like, wait, the messaging has hasn't not really changed, changed much. Humanity yeah. really has not changed much, but there's, it's like this need for a constant reminder and a constant bringing back and refreshing of these things. And then I really like that line in here, challenging the status quo through prophets called to speak on God's behalf. I like to think about that one of many roles that prophets have is to challenge the status quo. Mm. It's so easy to drink the Kool-Aid of our day, right? To just fall into the rhythm and custom of, you know, of what's going on in the world. And sometimes, yeah, socially. And and sometimes it's, um, oh, I liked who, who was saying that the other day was like giving an example where like, oh, if you if you like feel like you want to be independent and you want to be different, and you're like, no, I don't follow the status quo of, of the day. No, I, I want to be my own self. It's like, that's actually the status quo of our day. Yes. Like, that's like, I'm falling <laughs> into what... It wants to be authentic to really? their own yeah. self. Yeah. And that's and not, like new. That's just what is yeah. right now. And not that that, you know, needs to be spoken against necessarily or whatever. I'm not, I'm just saying that's just an example of how easy it is to fall into our status quo. And sometimes the status quo is good and going in a great direction, but sometimes it's the role of the prophets anciently and modern to speak against the status quo. Well, and also to help you like recenter. Yeah, for like, that purpose. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, Not that, just for the that, sake if of you're doing like, it. This feels like the way everything's moving and it's really easy to move the way everything's moving. If you've ever left a sporting event or a parade right when it ends. It's easiest to just move the way everything is moving. That's just true. That is human nature. And so you might find yourself caught up in that because it's just the way things are going. And um, sometimes status quo will feel like a little bit of having to push in a different direction. And I love that we have these guide posts of like, oh, here, here is center. So this is center. And then it just helps us each navigate toward that, that standard or that place. Yeah. So this is neat to think about as you, as you read through each of these 12, let's jump into our first one, Hosea. Um, You're going to love this one because it's a love story. Um, (laughs) It's just, uh, if you're ready for Emily Loves Proper Romance Novels, we're about to jump into an this Im- is not a proper romance novel. Let's <laughs> just clarify that right now. There are proper romance novels and there are improper romance novels. You can just write underneath Hosea an improper romance novel. <laughs> but don't write that in what his name means. Each oh. of the prophets have, uh, we put a spot in the journal here for each of the prophets and what their name means because it kind of, I think, adds some insight into this. Hosea is... Um, uh, is a is this it comes from the same root word that Joshua or translating to Greek Jesus comes from so it's a word that means savior deliverer right salvation yeah salvation so, and so that is where that and that's our word of the week on the poster also comes from Hosea's name to save or or to deliver um this is uh this story it's just you know cue the music um why hasn't disney made a love story about because this, this one. isn't improper the music can't even be nice music don't cue the orchestra don't cue your favorite love song this everyone. is my favorite love story okay <laughs> so it starts off like this right from the very beginning hosea one 
with the strangest, weirdest, most oddball command that God's given in the whole book, probably. And he says at the be- in verse two, and the Lord said to Hosea, go take thee a wife. And you're just like, oh, not so weird, but you keep reading, of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. And, and the Lord says to Hosea, I want you to go get this woman to marry who kind of has a reputation for being unfaithful. Now, is this actually happening historically? Or this is my I, we favorite. Don't know. Can we please tell this for a second? Yes. Let's just do this. It's so fun. Nobody yeah. panic. One time David taught this story like this to his seminary class. And when he started teaching it, I was there and I was like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> tell that story just for fun. It, it'll rock a few boats, but it, you kind of want to be jarred into how against the status quo what's about to happen was. Yeah, just because if you're reading this book, you might start by just saying, like, I just have this friend, and one day the Lord came to him and said, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Um, and so he did. He went and he found one, and he proposed to her and asked him to marry her. It's exactly what happens in this in this book. See why I was panicking, everybody? <laughs> Keep going. She hadn't Keep read Hosea. So he goes and he marries this girl. Her name is Gomer, by the way. I didn't make that up. Uh, her mom made that up and she should be punished for that. But her name is Gomer and he marries her. They have a child together. It seems like life is going really, really well. Then when they have their second kid, there's kind of this, um, uh, a little hint of mystery that it might not be Hosea's kid. Um, and, and then a third kid, kind of sane. Uh, when when the baby was born in the hospital, it was like, that's not my color hair. Um, and so has these these kids, and you kind of think to yourself, at that point, you know, the, the friend calls me and says, what should I do? Like, man, I don't know. I'd take a DNA test or something if I were you. They don't have DNA tests back then. And he's just like kind of there and everything. And then one day, Jose, this my friend, my friend, comes home from work, and he finds on his pillow a little note that says, uh, thanks for the good times, but I've decided to go back to my other lovers. Um, they, I just, I'm kind of bored of this marriage, and I'd, I'd really like to be with them. Uh, so she does. So she goes back. And then he says this to his class while I'm sitting there. What advice would you give this guy? Yeah, and that's a great question. I'm going to ask you all. What advice would you give him if that happens? And I would say uh, my advice would be adios muchacha. That would be my advice to him. I would say like, yep, cut all ties from that woman. Good riddance, good luck. Take the kids and, and have, a, have a great life. Then what happens is this lady calls him, comes back one day, and, you know, there's just a knock on the door. And Hosea opens up the door, and there's Gomer. And she says this, um, the other lovers left me. They ran out of money. They, they ran out of fun. I don't have anywhere else to go. Will you take me back? Which someone should tell her. That's not a great way to say sorry. Um, and she says, will you take me back? And do you want to know something crazy? He actually takes her back. He takes this woman back in. And not only does he take her back in, he like tries to win her affection over. And he buys her a vineyard. And he buys her new perfume. And he adds the extension onto the house that he'd always promised to try and just win her to come back into this relationship and love each other. And everything is going good for a while. Then he comes back from work one day and gets there. Hey, kids, where's your mom? And I'm like, we don't know. Goes upstairs, listens to his messages. He has a message from her. And she just says, hey, 
Thanks for the vineyard. Thanks for everything, but I'm actually leaving again. Um, he finds out that she leaves the second time. P.S. What would your advice now be to her? I mean, to him. What if she comes and she says, you know, what if she comes crawling back to the door again? It's just like, I'm sorry, madam. Three strikes, you're out, is what I would say. And in this story. And which would be healthy. Like, let's just pause for a yes! minute here. Um, in a normal relationship, in our time, if you were going to counseling, you would set boundaries. You would have, like, you would be counseled how to create this healthy relationship in a situation that actually is not healthy. Like, I, I think we need to make it really clear. This is not a healthy relationship that is happening. Yeah. Here. Chapters one through three, as you read it, they are supposed to jar you into thinking like, and to make you incensed and to make you so mad at Gomer. And it's fun to just right now, while we're here, before you get to the end of the story, it might be fun for you to look and be like, well, where does it say that? And where does it say that? So I find the one with the kids because I love that one so much. And oh, yeah. Um, so, verse one, one, two, chapter one, verse two is where he says, Go get your wife. Um, if you want to do the children that are born, um, verse six and nine is where they're born, and their names are interesting. Their names are no mercy. And then the second kid's name is, You're not my people. Um, and so you kind of get that's where Bible scholars get the hint that maybe these were not actually legitimate, legitimate kids. Yeah. Go over into chapter two, verse two, and he actually says to those kids, plead with your mother, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. That, that's a language of Wayne. She's not acting like my wife, and she's not treating me like I'm her husband. She has gone off and- Yeah, she and, needs to put away her whoredoms. And adulteries. And her adulteries, he tells them. Yeah, then when she goes off with her other lovers, you see, well, he says in verse five, she's played the heart that this is what she's done. Verse seven, this is all chapter two still. She'll follow after her lovers and, and, and then she will go and return at the end of verse seven to her first husband and say, it was better with me than, than now. And look at the way he responds in that one, starting in verse 14. Therefore, I will allure her. Like I will try and win her over. I will bring her and speak comfortably to her. I'll give her vineyards. I'll turn her sad things into happy things. And I'll, I'll play her love songs. I'll, I'll cause her to sing, right? In that day, she will call me Ishi, which if you look at the footnotes, my husband, you know, like, and, and I, will, I will try and win her back over is, is what he says in, in that one. And then and you I go, love 19 too. Are you going to go there? Yeah, because, come back to 19. Uh, and, I love when he's like, and I will betroth thee unto me forever or covenant with thee. Like, I'll enter back in, he tells her. I will I will figure out how to do it. Yeah. Then you go to chapter three in the very beginning. He says, "Then because she's gone again. And he says, go yet love a woman, beloved of her friend, even though she's an adulteress and who's gone after. And then so this is what happens. He finds out that second or third or fourth time that she's gone. And, and this time she's been sold into slavery. Whatever decisions that she's made, whatever like whatever in her business that she's been doing, she is now a captive, and and he goes and he goes into the other side of the of the town and he goes into the bad part of the town and he finds her, and it says that he pays for her from whoever her captives are. Yeah, he and he redeems buys her. her back. He buys her back and he brings her back again and he says to her, "Thou shalt abide with me for many days." This is chapter three, verse three. Thou shalt not play the harlot anymore. Thou shalt be for thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. 
and I am going to act especially compassionate and, and faithful to you. And you read this story, and it's really fun if you tell it before jumping into the scriptures, right? Yeah, because you should it. have seen the look on the faces of all of the kids as he gets deeper and deeper into the story. And everyone's like, you got to you gotta tell him, do not go back to her. Do not go back. Someone needs to stay with him. And make sure he does not go back into that situation. And they die when she comes knocking on the door. And they're, and they're no! no! Slam the door! Kick her to the curb! <laughs> Get rid of Gomer! You know, and you really do read it. And you're like, he should not, she does not. Is that a good match? Like, And, and you kind of look at this. We put this up as a, as a thing you could do. Say some words that describe Gomer. Yeah. You know? And if you wrote up some words that describe Gomer, you would say, unfaithful. Like uh, insensitive, fickle, um, a horrible spouse, you know. Yes. Like you, these. You, she's a. You would just do all these, and then you're like, okay, give me some words that describe Hosea, and you would say just like wildly merciful, loyal, uh, like uh, unimaginably loyal, right? Yeah. Like you're just like giving, forgiving. Yes, and you're just like, oh my gosh, and then you line those two up next to each other, and you're like. Is that a good match? Like, if you were a matchmaker, would you put these two together? I mean, it's just like, homegirl, he's way out of your league, is what he is. Yeah. Like, you ought not to be married. And when you give advice to Hosea, you seriously want to say, bag that girl. Like, ditch her that fast. Like, maybe, I, no, I, I'm, I, by the time you get to chapter three, yeah. I'm, I'm done with you. Yeah, and, turn away from yeah, her. Yeah, turn away. And then Hosea kind of drops the bomb on you as you read. And he just says, um, this is not so much a story about me and Gomer. It's a story about you, Israel, and your relationship with God. He came seeking you and loved you and was so good to you. And you turned to other gods. You turned to other things. You went back to your other affections. You tried to get happiness and fulfillment and the other things in life. And once you realized that they couldn't anymore, you came crawling back to him and you asked him, please take me back. Please forgive me. And, and he did. And then you were unfaithful again. And, and, and then you realized, you know, how wrong you were and you came back. And once you realize that you are actually Gomer in the story, then your advice changes. Yes. And you're like. So fast. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that's the other fun thing to watch when the seminary class, all of a sudden they were Gomer. And then. All of a sudden, it was like their perspective of God was like, oh, he is so good. Yeah. That he is so forgiving and he's so patient and he's so tender. And all of a sudden, you see God with totally different eyes of, I mean, when you think about second chances, third chances, as many chances as it takes, this is one of those stories when you can feel the pain. Of a heavenly father. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, the first of two analogies, this first one is in the terms of a, a marriage mm. relationship. That it, you, you hear the pain in his voice speaking as a betrayed husband, as a betrayed spouse. Like, it's not just like, I quit this job. Yeah. You know, like, it's not an employee-employer relationship. It's not like my membership at Costco that I'm now severing, you know, and it's like, who cares? But he's putting it in context of 
it breaks my heart when you yeah. walk away. The relationship I have with you is like a marriage relationship. I gave my all. I I wish I shared everything mm-hmm. with you. I loved you intensely. And so you see it in 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 that way. And you should read this story and think, I, I'm not deserving of that kind of love. Mm. Like I'm not fit to be, this is not a good match um, between us. And, and that is what is supposed to cause the awe at the character and the heart of of what he's like. It's supposed to be unbelievable. It, yeah, it's and supposed, jarring. Yeah. A little bit jarring. I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. Like, hopefully that love and that devotion is as jarring as the way that Gomer, like, responded mm-hmm. to it. There's a verse that I, I skipped in, in, in chapter 2, verse 23. I will sow her unto me in the earth. I will have mercy upon her. I will say to them that we're not my people. You are my people. And they will say back, you are my God. And the book of Hosea is the theme of, of this book is covenant love. And it, it shows us the kind of devoted, unfailing covenant love that God has towards um, his people. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of the book of Hosea is you, through all of these pages, you actually watch his commitment increase. The deeper you go into the book, the greater his commitment is to saving that relationship. And we see it at the beginning as a marriage relationship. There's going to be a part where it turns into a shepherd and his sheep relationship. Like he's going to try and show you in as many ways as he can. This is what covenant love looks like. This is what you should be looking for in a relationship with God. And and this is what you should expect from that God. And I love the thought of him just giving us that expectation that is it's so good. Like it's, it's greater than we could imagine for the situation that we are in. Yeah. And, and you, and, and I think as you read the book, like you'll see um, a lot of warnings from Hosea to Mm. the people about like, this is what happens when you try and go out on your own. This is just the natural result and consequences of indulging in some of these things that you are indulging in. But his focus, the thing to try and win them back is not the penalty and the consequence, but the thing to win them back is how deep and abiding the love of God is. Like that, the message of the book is, I, I will allure you with my mercy and my kindness and my, and my goodness. Yeah. And, and then you see the response. Look, a couple of verses more we'll do with this. Um, Hosea 6, come, he says to the people, let us return unto the Lord. Like, once you learn what his character is like, that invitation is so much more powerful. Mm. Oh, come, let's go back to him. This, let's re- this is what he's like. Why yeah. would we not go back to him? Let him reveal us in verse one. Bind us up. Let him revive us in verse two and raise us up. Um, and and, and I, I love the theme throughout this book of this idea of coming to really know who he is. Yes. And, and that aspect of his character. And I love verse 3 so much, and it makes a lot more sense if you've ever been to Israel. We love to travel to Israel in the spring. Um, our favorite months to be there are April, May, and June. And one of the reasons why we like it so much is because Israel can be super rainy. Um, from 
like October until May. Did I just say that right? March. Yeah, till March. It's really rainy. And then it, the rain kind of starts to end. And when we were there this year, um, we got to a point where it was going to start being really warm. And we were talking to our Israeli guide. And he had said to us, after today, I bet it won't rain again. And he had said it with such like finality that I was like, ever? <laughs> and he was like, well, yeah, like not, not until October. We will not see another drop of rain until October. And I was like, not one drop. Like, we live in a desert in Utah. It's dry here, but it rains in the summer. Like, some of those summer thunderstorms are my favorite thunderstorms. So I, I kind of just imagined the same thing. And he was like, oh, no, no, it won't rain at all until October. And it does get really dry there. And it's so interesting because... In verse 3 of chapter 6, it says, Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. Now, this idea is going to be talked about over and over again in these uh, minor prophets, in this book of 12, because that early and the latter rain are super important. And the reason why is because in between those, there is no growth. It is wilderness. There's like nothing is going to thrive during that time. And so they actually, their whole entire survival depends on this, the latter rain and then the former rain. That's, that's when everything that causes life in Israel grows. Is during that time. And if one of those were not to come, it'd be really, really bad. And it's so interesting to talk to someone who lives there, how dependent they are upon that rain for life. And I love that this prophet talks about that. This is how we will know if we follow on to know the Lord, that in those times when we are parched, when everything is dry, when everything is dead in us, when there is no possibility for increase or growth at all, he will send the latter rain. And that will come in. It comes right at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's when it comes. And it allows for that planting season to begin and for everything that will need to happen there. And I just, I love the thought of that. Yeah. I, and again, every time you read this, you think to yourself, I, I don't deserve this. Mm. And it's like, and by de that, by definition, is what mercy means, right? I don't deserve this. Like, and that's not the economy of, of God. It's not based off of what we, what we deserve and earn. And I love, in, as you get to the end of the book, the one other analogy he gives in chapter 11 is father-child. Mm. And that's not an analogy because we actually are. But he uses Israel and he says in the beginning, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called him my son and I brought him out of Egypt and I taught him how to walk. I took him by their arms in, in verse three and, and they knew not that I healed them and, and took care of them. I remember asking a class one time, uh, a seminary class, try and list everything your parents did for you from the age of one to seven. When you had no, you have no memory, you have no recollection of, of every time they woke up in the night, every time they took care of you every time they took you to the drive-thru yeah, when they walked <laughs> the floors with you when yeah. you were 
sick. Right, right. Yeah. Like there, he's bringing on that imagery of just like I've been here since the very, very beginning with and, with you. And something that happened for me this time when I read it, and I just think it's because we've been so invested in the Old Testament this year, but it actually made me really teary to to be like, this is the end. Like we're at the end of the story. We're at the end of the book. And I love when he's like, let me take you back to the beginning. Like, do you guys remember when we pulled out that timeline and there was nothing on it? And we stuck Moses up there and and you just looked at this whole story that there was nothing on there. And I love that he goes clear back and he's like, let me remind you of our story. Yeah. Let me remind you of our relationship. Let me go through and show you the the big details where like you're like oh yeah and he showed up there with Joseph and he showed up there again with Samuel and he showed up there again with you know that you just start going through all um David and uh, that he just keeps showing up in this storyline and i love that he he kind of takes us there right now where he's like just let me remind you how long you and me have been friends yeah you know how long we've been together was just, I thought it was so sweet that that's where he wanted to go back to is, I've known your story since the very beginning of your story. And it's the value of looking back and seeing that, you know, that's a, to see this whole history of Israel and then God's compare, like taking this history to remind you what just your personal relationship mm. is with him. He's like, you and I also have, have, you know, history. I, I think I've said this on here before, I can't remember, but not too long ago, Jenny was, kind of telling everybody's, you know, birth story of yes. all the kids and stuff like that. And and then um, found some pictures of she and Jack when Jack was just a baby and it was just she and him. And she turned to Jack and she just says, you, you and me, we've got history, mm. you know? And I think that's so sweet to like look back and re- now anytime she says something, it's like you got to know like who's saying something to you, someone who's been there, someone who's invested, somebody who's um, who's been with you. And and you skip down to verse 7 and 11, and it says, and my people are bent to backsliding for me. Um, they call me the most high, but they don't exalt my name. And he says, they're just, they just keep um, distancing, yeah, themselves. distancing themselves. And and I love this line in verse 8. He says, how shall I give thee up, Ephraim? He's like, but do you think I'm going to give you up? Do you think I'm just going to, do you think I'm going to kick you to the curb? And then he says to them, mine heart is turned with in me. My repentings are kindled together, or I love a way to say this from the ESV, my compassion grows warm and tender towards mm-hmm. you. I cannot turn off my love for you. I, I, I will not give you up. I, I'm going to keep coming. And that's the, that's the message of, of Hosea. That's mm. the draw. That's the, that, that, that character is what is going to allure you know, his people back. back. And I love when, as he goes through that, and he he really does a good job, I feel like, in Hosea of reminding us who he is. But Hosea also reminds us what is required of us. And there's one verse that I love. It's Hosea 6, verse 6. And um, it says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And there's a lot of words in there that you're like, wait, those are all words that are super familiar to us. Mercy, sacrifice, knowledge, offerings. And 
they all sound like good things. So it's interesting when he's like, but wait, I wanted this more. This is what I wanted more. And um, he's not saying he doesn't want any of those things, but there's a couple things he wants more. And I think it's so interesting to look at the difference because the one is mercy, or you could say especially active compassion, or you could use the word deep love for that. I wanted deep love. I wanted relationship is maybe what you would write in there. Not just that daily sacrifice over and over and over that for some of us, instead of building a relationship becomes a routine Mm -hmm. where it doesn't require our heart. It doesn't require anything of us. It's just the thing we do. And it's a really good self-check for me to think when I'm getting in my scriptures, when I'm going to church, when I'm praying, am I building relationship? Am I acquiring deep love through that process? Or has it just become routine for me? And am I, requi- am I acquiring more knowledge of his character and capacity in my life? Is that what's happening for me? Am I getting that knowledge of God, of who he is? Or am I just giving a, a burnt offering, an object, and there is no affection in or attached to the object? of what I'm doing every day. And I love the thought of that. I love the thought that you can practice religious routine. We we have probably, you've had times in your life, I have, where this is just my routine. This is what I do. But there are times when I'm walking through life and what I need is who Gomer needed when she came and knocked on the door. I need the one who gives me the vineyard. I need the one who's going to put oil in my wounds. I actually need someone who sees me and says, oh, I see what you need right now. And I will give, I will revive you. Mm. I will heal you. I will do all of those things. Are we seeking relationship from spirituality or are we just performing routines every single day? And I, I love that Hosea makes us ask that question. Yeah. And I love that what it is that makes us ask it because I found it's remarkably easy to be a church kid and never come to know God. Mm -hmm. It is way too simple to spend my time going through the motions and not actually feeling the emotions of it. That's just Mm -hmm. really, really simple to do. And I, and I, and, and you know what doesn't work to me? Like you better do this or else that doesn't work for me. And so the messaging here is, let me show you how beautiful of a soul he has and then say to you, come and let us renew that relationship um, with him. And um, right here in the journal, there's a couple things you might want to put in. The theme we put is covenant love. The key verse is that, um, that six, chapter six, verse six. Um, the chap- one I just read. Right, barely. yeah. Um, the key word is that come, that invitation It just word. starts right at the very beginning, and then you just keep hearing it over and over again. Yeah, and you love that just like, it's that voice of Hosea calling back to Gomer, come back. Yeah. You know, and it's that voice of God calling back to us. And then this key phrase in 10, um, it is time to seek the Lord. Like, man, it's time. It's time to go back. Um, and and you can fill all of those. Yeah. And 
the talk that we're tying to this kind of our modern day Hosea is we picked President Nelson in his Sunday morning conference talk, overcoming the world and finding rest. And um, it's interesting that he's going to give these invitations to overcome the world, to push against the status quo, to come and enter into the yoke with him. Like those are going to be invitations that he's going to do. But the way he starts it out is Mm. the same way Hosea does. And look at the very, very first paragraph of the talk. He says, I assure you. And I love that he starts with that um, because there are reasons to believe that God would give up on me. Like I can convince myself I'm not worthy of another chance. Like I can, I, I could hear that messaging out in the world that you're not worth saving. Like, and so I love that this prophetic voice is, I assure you, let me break through all of that noise and make it perfectly clear that our heavenly father and his beloved son, Jesus Christ, love you. They are intimately aware of your circumstances. Only as a parent or a spouse could be. I added those words, right? To, you know, that he knows of your goodness, your needs, your prayers for help. Again and again, I pray for you to feel their love for you because experiencing their love is vital as it seems we're accosted daily by an onslaught of sobering news. And, and I just, that is so powerful that that was the beginning motivation before he invites us to take his yoke, before he invites us to walk his path, before he invites us to push back. Yep. To overcome yeah. the world, which is the invitation that is to Gomer, right? You have got to walk away from all that. But I love that before he even starts. Yeah. He's like, this is why, this is what you, <laughs> you look at you're walking away from. Is is what he's is what he's saying, and so I can remember listening to conference and um, watching him get up to start speaking, and and as he started to enter in, and I bet a lot of you are like this with President Nelson. We just never know what the council is going to be, but also we kind of wait on the edge of our seats for the invitation that's going to come. And I remember as I started writing in my general conference notebook, um, those words I just I wrote in my book beloved like there was something that settled in me that was like he wants us to know we're beloved before the council or the invitation even comes like he was setting a precedence of please know who you are before i ask you to become something better and i love the reminder of that like do we know we're beloved did gomer know she was that beloved of Hosea um, as that relationship continued. And maybe that's where it starts for you. Like I did think that to myself, there are so many people who they don't need to move on to page two, three, or four of that talk because it might take six months for them to recognize he loves me. Well, and I love later in the talk, I was just looking at this and wondering if I was going to share this part too. And I think it's great because of what you just said, that question Gomer says, do I know that he really loves me? And I would say like, look at what he's done. Mm. And this paragraph seems to be like the evidence paragraph. He says, because the savior 
through his infinite atonement, redeemed each of us from weakness, mistakes, and sin. And because he experienced every pain, worry, and burden you ever had, then as you truly repent and seek his help, you can rise above this present and precarious world. He teaches, shows us the picture of that covenant love. Jesus on in the garden and on the cross is the evidence of that for a broken, rebellious people is who he died for. And he's like, that is that is the proof. And then he says, And I love that before you go farther, because oh, yeah. let me just say this. Um, maybe you wonder how powerful that image is in your life. Like maybe you're why is that the one he gave? You know, if you need to know if God loves you right now, if he knows what's going on in your life. Do you remember that part where he was like, he actually hears your prayers and he sees you. And if you want a reminder of that, you need to remember this. This is what's going to get you through. And I had the most interesting experience yesterday that is just this in real life because um, we've had a lot of really hard things happen right in a row at our house. And um, people say bad things happen in three, and we hit our third yesterday. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, maybe we are like on the upswing now. But um, when I got the phone call yesterday and as I headed to the hospital for a really dire situation that was unexpected and unanticipated and actually was really a burden in my life from something that was supposed to be a blessing, a four-day blessing that just everything went bad in that moment. And um, all of my siblings went to one hospital and they sent me to the other hospital by myself. And I was supposed to go wait for the ambulance in that moment. And I already felt super alone. So it was really hard for me that they were all together solving one situation. And I was driving by myself to the other place. And they had said to me, we'll text you where you're supposed to go when you get there. And so I drove down on my way down there and I just, I was feeling super heavy. I was feeling super alone. Like I wasn't a part of what was going on. And it wasn't hard to feel a little bit like maybe God has forgotten because I'm already carrying this and I'm already carrying this and, and these are heavy already. And so why did this third thing happen today? Because I actually really needed help today from this. And I'm getting the opposite of what I asked for. And as I pulled in the parking lot, and this maybe won't make sense to you right away, but it will make sense to you immediately. My sister texted the name of the doctor, the name of the nurse, and the number of the room that my mom was going to be taken to. And it was 7-Eleven. That was the name. And immediately, um, if you're a seminary teacher, you know um, there is a doctrinal mastery scripture that you hook to 711 every time, and it's Alma 711 through 13. And it's where you are reminded of him on the cross and that he is there to take away your sin and your death, but also your infirmities and your afflictions. And he's there to succor. And every time I walked in and out of that room, I thought, it is not a coincidence that that was the room my mom was assigned to because I needed the reminder of what President Nelson said every time I walked in that room, that the Savior knew me and he knew what was going on. And, and we experienced great miracles in that 
room in room number 711. And I just, I love the thought that just that reminder of the Savior and what he did and his power to succor us, even when life feels really unfair and lonely, can be super powerful. And and just like Hosea said right there, I just want to like do Hosea those. Hosea or President Nelson? Uh, the same. Okay. <laughs> because, because it was the same message. But this, you, this is, I just want to do some dot, dot, dots in this quote. You can overcome the spiritually and emotionally exhausting. Despite the distractions and the distortions that swirl around us, you can find true rest, meaning relief and peace, even amid your most vexing problems. Like, that is, that's the powerful message. Here is the picture, and here is the promise. Mm. For that, um, so what? Such a great book. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, I just they keep getting good and good and good. Yes. Um, we're gonna go into Joel, and can I just use this ver- line yes. from President Nelson to jump into Joel because you'll see the the connection in just a, a second. Um, Joel's gonna start off his book um, with an image of a locust plague. Um. And he's going to use a phrase several times in his book that a lot of these Book of the Twelve will use, the day of the Lord. And it's talking about um, a future coming day when when he will eradicate all evil and injustice and unfairness from the earth, right? That's, that's, it's a second coming phrase, the day of the Lord. But Joel will use something that happens in his day, a locust plague that happened and just eradicated like everything and brought everyone to their knees and to their a pleading place as kind of the the symbol for that um and it left people thinking like oh my gosh have we been forgotten but here's this promise from president nelson you've heard this before um where you want to think like i don't want the day of the lord to yes. come because <laughs> I, if it's like locusts then no gracias right well, and especially because he tells us the the day of the lord in chapter 2 verse 11 is great and very terrible yeah. And who should be able to stand it? And your what you your yesterday actually I read this yesterday and I was like, "Oh, that's actually Emily." <laughs> um yesterday. It's this one in Joel 1:3. He's like, um he's like, "Well, he's like, do you remember he's like, "Do you remember the plague we just had? It's, it was so bad in verse 3. You're going to tell your kids and your grandkids and you're yes. going to tell it on." He's like, "The the palmer worm left whatever the palmer worm left, the locust ate." And whatever the locust left, the cankerworm ate. And whatever the cankerworm left, the eater caterpillar ate. And you're just sort of like, it was this like wave upon wave yes. upon wave of locusts where you're just like, it, it like. It's not, never going to end. Yeah. It just kept on coming. And, and, and he talks about that. And he talks about it, like, yes, yes, God will confront evil in that same way. He will eradicate all of it and leave nothing left of it on, on the earth. And you're sort of like, I don't want that day it sounds so scary but this line from president nelson you've heard before he says Mm -hmm. my dear brothers and sisters so many wonderful things are ahead in coming days we will see the greatest manifestation of the savior's power that the world has ever seen Um, between now and the time he returns with power and great glory he will bestow countless privileges blessings and miracles upon the faithful he's quoting himself in in that line right there and it is interesting to me that he is like says it again says it again right in the midst of the distractions and the things that can swirl among us he says let me remind remind you of how god is also at work 
Um, and I love that what's going to happen in this book is um, he's going to tell us in the midst of that great and terrible day that no one's going to be able to stand through. There is a group of people who will make it through. And let me counsel you what that would look like. If you want to be one of the ones who makes it through, let me counsel you what that will look like. And I love going into this. He says this, um, you're going to want to um, use this framework that you're going to go through. He's going to set up this framework for us. You might want to write some of these things down. In chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he says, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants into the house of the Lord and cry unto the Lord um, because the day of the Lord is at hand and destruction from the Almighty is coming, he tells you. And so I love that he's like, okay, these are going to be things that you are going to have to do. You're going to have to fast. You're going to have to gather. You're going to have to go to the house of the Lord. Like if that is not part of your practices right now, adjust mm. because that actually needs to be part mm. of your practices right now. And then he says um, in verse 12 of chapter 2, really similar words. He says, uh, and it's right after that, that the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who will abide it is the question. And then he's like, okay, let me tell you again. That's like John's 12. question, right? Yeah. In Revelation. Yeah. Who, and who, who will be able shall to stand the day? Yeah. yeah. And he says, okay, let me tell you again. Turn to me with all of your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments, right? Don't, when you rend your garments in the olden days, someone was dead to you. He was like, do, do not let me be dead to you, right? This is not the right time for me to be dead to you. Rend your heart, like break it open and make room for me in there, and turn unto the Lord your God because he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. And then I love that he's going to be like, let me remind you who I am and what I do because yeah. things are going to get so bad right now. Let me just remind you. And um, in chapter 2, verse 21, these are some of my favorite verses about God because he says, be glad and rejoice because I will do great things in the midst of of that terrible thing, I will do great things. Um, don't be afraid because the pastures of the wilderness will have spring and the tree will bear her fruit and the fig tree will yield their strength. And you can be glad and you can rejoice because then he tells us again in 23, and we're going to see this imagery that I told you about before. Again, he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, right? He will cause that to come into your life, whatever that is going to have to look like, so that your floors will be full of wheat and the fats will overflow with wine and with oil. And I love this word in verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the locust ate and the canker worm ate and the caterpillar ate and the palmer worm ate. Like I will bring what you deserved on that day that's what I'm going to bring to you. That good thing that you were praying for, I, I will restore that to you. And you will be satisfied and praise. And he will deal wondrously with you. And he will be in the midst of you. I will be your Lord, the Lord, your God. And so then my personality, especially after the 24 hours that we've had, is I want to be like, okay, how? 
how, how is this going to happen? Because I actually need this to happen right now. I actually need you to show up because things are great and terrible right now. And so what is it going to look like? And how will I know if this is happening? And I love, he says this in 28, I will pour out my spirit upon you, upon your sons and your daughters, and you will prophesy, right? He tells you, and you will dream dreams, and you will see visions. He tells us again in 29, in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And I love this thought that the way we're going to get through it, Joel says, the only way they will be able to survive the calamities that will come is through the spirit, mm. which sounds oddly familiar to me. Yeah. <laughs> because we've just had a prophet who said the only way we will make it through the calamities that are to come is what? To learn how to hear him. That's what he just told us. We are reading the exact same conference talk that we keep getting over and over again from President Nelson. And I don't know when you, if you're, when you're going to go to this verse. In, you can go. Um, in uh, chapter two, where is my, where's my valley? Oh, it's three. Oh, sorry, it's, three. it's in three. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the name, it, the name of uh, Joel is really like telling and really significant here. That's a name that means Jehovah is his God. And that's interesting because um, it's like, it, it indicates a sort of decision. Mm. Who's going to be your God? Who is it that you're going to look to? And that name, because if you go into chapter three, there's this, there's this verse in 14 where it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And it's, it's almost like, I'm glad these two books are next door to each other, Hosea and Joel, mm -hmm. because it's like, okay, so who is, make your choice. This, this verse here, it's time. Yeah. It's time to seek the Lord. Make the decision of what way you're going to live through these days. Yeah, because are, is he dead to you? Yes. Or are you going to give him your heart? Right. Which, which one is going to happen? And, I, and again, Never, ever do I hear an or else. I hear a warning. I hear a warning voice that says like, this is just, it happens. It's the natural consequence. It's what's going to happen in the world or. Right. Like the terrible thing is going to come. It won't be stayed. And it's so beautiful to me that it's like, you not only will avoid it, but you will thrive in that day. Yeah. Like you will dream dreams and you will prophesy and the spirit will be poured out mm. like not only in protection but in like in growth Great and abundance. abundance right um and that is it's so neat to to see that happening right there and i love when he goes through and he's kind of set up for us this foundation or this framework right he's like what you need what you absolutely have to have to spiritually survive in this time is call the solemn assemblies and you need to be fasting you need to gather together. You need to be in the Lord's house. Like he set up this framework. This is what it's going to look like. And, and what will come of that decision is this pouring out of the spirit that is going to guide you through what is about to happen. And it's and, interesting. And yeah. the, are you going to the talk? Yeah. Because one thing that happens in between, I just thought of this is, um, 
uh, what's his name, Peter, in the New Testament will actually quote this verse from Joel to kind of like catapult the church mm. into action. And it's this day where the spirit is poured out upon them and there are observers who watch it happen and they actually say, what should we do? Like we yes. just watched what's happening among you. And our question is, how do we harness that? Yeah. How do we experience that same thing? Mm-hmm. And then and Peter actually gives them a framework. So Joel gives this framework. Here's how to harness, to call down the powers of heaven. Peter has a similar conversation with people where they're like, we want to experience mm-hmm. that. How do we call down the powers of heaven? And it's why we picked this, yeah. this talk. And, and I think it's important to talk about that framework, um, that it is important. A framework actually is important. And um, uh, and he in uses, April, he yeah, uses he uses that a word. similar word too. That's in, where we get that. In yeah. April of last year, I was with Caleb and Maria in California for general conference. And we went over in between conference sessions. We The beach was just in the backyard of the place where we happened to be staying. And so we walked over there and in the garage of this house, there were all these things, these kite kits, but like a lot of them. So I just picked up all of them and took them over there. And we spent time trying to put the kites together. And Caleb, for the entire two-hour break, tried to fly these kites at the beach. Have you ever flown a kite at the beach before? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you're like, if you ever flown a kite, no, that's what I got I mean, stuck on. I was at like, the beach. I, I want you to have done it at the beach because it actually is relatively easy because there is so a windy. constant yeah. wind, and it's coming from the same direction. And if you just turn and face the right way and give that kite a little lift it will just go like you can actually tie it up to a stroller and it will fly its own self that is how easy it is to fly a kite at the beach but Caleb ran as hard as he could to try and get this kite up in the air and I kept telling him there's something wrong with the kite there is something wrong with the kite it should not be this hard I promise you it should not be this hard and he sat there and tried to do it and so finally that afternoon, it was Saturday, I went to the store and there was a $5 kite at the checkout stand. So I just bought it. We unloaded the groceries and I said to Caleb, come with me. And we walked down to the beach and I handed him the rope and I put the kite together according to the instructions and he let that thing go. And I watched it go clear up to the end of the string. And then he just turned and looked at me like, should it be this easy? <laughs> How was it so easy? But because we had the four sides and we had the tail and the string was tied onto the crossbar in just the right place. And it like when you learn to harness the wind, Mm. life becomes so easy. It was so easy. And I feel like one of the things Joel is teaching us is let me teach you how to harness the spirit. Let me teach you the framework. Because if, if I can give you a good framework, it will become easier and easier for you. And I love what we're going to hook to Elder Renlund's talk. And one of the things that he does is he's going to give us four um, four things that we can do, this framework um, that will be formed. And he gives us four elements is what he calls them of how to pull this framework together that is going to help us be able to have spiritual revelation or personal revelation better now, we want to say this, and we were talking about this before we came down. Um, Elder Renlund is not the only one who has done this before. Um, Elder Scott has done this in two different conference talks that were, like, life-changing for me. 
Um, and so you may want to just search that. Elder Bednar has given framework. Uh, President Nelson's several different talks has given framework for revelation. Um, for me, it has become something that I'm passionate about studying. And so I will just type revelation into uh, the church website. And I love just capturing all of those talks that have revelation in the title um, because it is a framework. And rather than I loved when we were talking upstairs because Elder Renlund's going to talk about four elements of this framework. And you could accidentally put those four things like this. Mm -hmm. And I loved what you said upstairs, which was, I don't want to box in how revelation works, which was a really important thing to say, I think, because talk about that for a minute, because that really is important. Well, I think even, even Joel breaks all the rules, right? Where he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And someone will be like, uh-uh, it's actually only supposed to be church people. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to break that rule. I'm going to break out of that box yeah. and say all flesh. And he's like, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And it's like, no, kids. In those days, yeah. they would have been like, no, no, daughters don't prophesy. Right, right. I'm going to break out of that box. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Like the only one that makes sense is your old men. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's like yes. typical. But I just, and this, and this whole idea of pouring out is like, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. It's going to overflow. Like I'm going to break out of that entirely. And so I think he's trying to emphasize how abundant and how like, I mean, I mean, and when it happens in Peter's day, it's described as the a fire, like whipping through and a everyone, flood. like a wildfire. Yeah. It's just like, it's uncontained. Yeah. It's like, so we love you to like keep that big. And maybe instead of having those four um, elements or that framework be a box that you feel like constrained to live within. We want you to think about those four elements or that framework as if you were going to build a wall in my house you, and you were going to frame it, you would start out by putting two by fours. And after a certain number of inches, which I think is 16, do you know? I'm making that up. I think I'm right. <laughs> you would put person. another two by four and then another two by four. And there is a framework by which my entire house is built. And I love this idea that he's going to give us four and they're going to push us up. They're not going to constrain us in. They're going to actually push us up. We're, we're going to tilt upward with this framework. But he also, in his very first pause, pause, element. Now, let me give like another thought that I just had to okay, that, that just fun. came to me about this framework. Because when you said, if I built one in my house, what's awesome is like to think of a framework like that is like, okay, now the structure there is for it. And I have no idea what you're about to put on this wall. On this one, there's that shiplap. There's a, this thing, what's this called? A, a chalkboard <laughs> that's there. You know, like there's the two elements together in my mind where it's like yeah. the frames there now to support with whatever God's yeah. going to do. And yes. it's going to be creative. And it's yours gonna be is like, going to, your wall in the basement that faces this way. Is going to look wildly different. Yeah. And it's going to be surprising and it's going to break all the rules, but yes. there's going to be something for it to land on yes that allows that right to happen right. and we love the idea of it and um when you put together your framework like you maybe are going to have a whole bunch of two by fours going all the way across but elder renland is going to give us four that we would add to that list and they're good ones and i love um that he says when we operate within this framework the holy ghost can unleash astonishing insight direction and comfort 
And we loved that idea about this unleashing of astonishing and then all of those things that we need. Like it's not like, and then there will be a little drip every so often. And you'll be like, oh, oh, here it comes. It'll be like, I, we just love that thought of unleashing this astonishing amount, like what happens in Acts chapter 2. Um, so I just want to quickly tell you his four things, and you'll be able to go in the talk and read them in greater detail. The one I'm most in love with is actually number one, so we'll just spend a little bit of time there. But he says the scriptures from the first element of this frame form, the first element of this framework for personal revelation. Feasting on the words of Christ as found in the scriptures stimulates personal revelation. And we just for fun upstairs, and you might do this with a class that you're teaching, um, ask people where in scripture did great revelation come after someone said we had been reading in the book of whatever. How many times does reading scripture actually propel this great revelation to come forth? And, and we thought of Joseph several times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the first vision starts because he was reading scripture, but there are a lot of sections in the Doctrine and Covenants 76, where they say, one of the yeah. most astounding ones. Came yeah, we were reading. We were reading. And yeah. we asked a question. Um, but you also think of, um, it happens for Lehi. Um, it happens for Nephi. We um, could think about when it happened for Peter. There's just so many places where because someone is reading scripture, it opens that floodgate. So that's the first thing to learn. But he, the second thing he says that, of that first element, that framework, is the scriptures also teach us how to receive personal revelation. And we love that idea of just starting to collect stories of how did revelation work for this person? How did they prepare? How did it come? How did they respond? Um, and can and I watch follow a happens. similar pattern, right? We're yes. just, we're, we're learning how to, and what's neat is the rest of his that he gives, actually, he gives scriptural, like, I learned this yes. pattern from this scripture yes. story. I learned this pattern from this scripture story. Yep. And so it's it might be fun to just start collecting your own, like, framework of Revelation journal. Here is how I've seen it work. And this is what I'm going to try and practice. And maybe this will open the floodgates for me. Um, the second one is to remember that we receive personal revelation only within our purview. Just... Like, I get to receive revelation for the parts of life that my life touches. And, and to remember, like, that's your lane. And, and you just run in the lane that you live in. Don't decorate my basement wall. I won't decorate your basement <laughs> wall. That would be so bad. Um, and vice versa, right? Yeah. That um, you, like, you just get to be in charge of your own, what's coming from your framework. The third one was you will always receive revelation that is in harmony with the commandments of God, but also with the covenants you made. That that you could just test it and be like, was that from God? That's a really good way to test. That, is it in line with the commandments and the covenants I have made so far? Then I can trust that it is. And the fourth one is um, to recognize what God has already revealed to you personally while waiting for that next revelation to come. And that the next revelation should correlate with what you've previously been given. I just, I love the idea that there might be steps, there might be a process. Um, one of the reasons why I love it is because when we think about the Holy Ghost, which is where that personal revelation comes through, and you think about how large his, um, what would the word be, not capacity, but his 
role. Role, role. yeah. Yeah. How large his role is. I love in his second footnote of Elder Bednar's talk, he says, Renlund's. or Ren, Elder Renlund's talk, the Holy Ghost is the third member of the Godhead. He's often referred to as the Spirit or the Spirit of God. Those are already big. Yes. Way, way bigger than yeah. the words can contain. Yes, you know? and like, then he <laughs> plays this vital role. In the plan of salvation. And then he starts listing what this role looks like. He bears witness of the Father and the Son. He reveals the truth of all things. Um, he sanctifies those who have repented and been baptized, right? Every time we enter into covenant relationship, we experience a higher degree of sanctification through him, through that process. Um, he is the Holy Spirit of promise, Um Right, that there's there's just all of this. Like when you think of harnessing that, you can imagine Caleb's two hours of trying to framework that together. But in the moments when our soul takes flight, and we're like, okay, it it, it worked this time. I saw it work this time. I'm gonna write down that process because I know it worked this time. Yeah, and and again, I think I I love. Well, two things I love. One, I love how often that covenant is coming up and commandments because, yeah. right, those are the way that we draw, bring him in, right? He is the power. He is the strength. He's the astonishment. So yeah. anything that he's teaching us, they are principles of bringing God into your story, of bringing him into the problem. That's, mm. That is what they are. And I love, we love this principle of airplanes because he actually yes. uses that idea of of an airplane where he just says like if they operate within their right functions right in their right frameworks then they fly and one of the, the ways that planes fly is because of their tilt right the wind is coming and if they their wings are tilted correctly it will cause lift, lift right you know you do this when you put your hand outside a window in a car like if it's tilted up it will you know it will cause my hand to like lift and I love thinking of these principles as these are principles that tilt the soul. They're ones that that lift, mm-hmm. draw us, open our, rend our hearts open, yep. so that God's mighty spirit can come in and lift and lift. And um, this is going to be fun. We feel like as we go through these next several weeks until the end of the year, and we marry together these words from ancient prophets and modern prophets and. And let them combine to teach us really powerful lessons. I think it's going to be so awesome. Yeah, and one more evidence of how unrelenting God is in his devotion to us, Mm -hmm. right? The fact that we can see him pressing in 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, and a couple weeks ago is just evidence of how devoted and dedicated he Mm -hmm. is to his children. So good. Yeah. Okay, see you next week for two more. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.